Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. I'm Tracy Newman and we are joined by Dan Bentley and really happy today to also be joined by Louise Pfeiffer from A Life You Can Save. So Louise, we always like to kick off with a nice easy question. So would you like to tell us a little bit about who it is that you are and what you do? Absolutely. I'd love to start there. Uh, So I am the Director of Philanthropy at The Life You Can Save, uh, which is a a not-for-profit organisation based in Australia and the United States. It's, in fact, a global organisation. I started in this role just under a year ago, uh, but before that, my career was in primarily financial services, funds management, superannuation, financial advising. It's a very corporate career before switching to the not-for-profit sector last year. I've heard you sort of share the story about the impact that Peter Singer, who I guess is where the the whole organisation of A Life You Can Save started and the impact that he had on your life. So do you want to just sort of share a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, let's wind back to the mid-1990s when I was at university and I undertook a Bachelor of Arts and majored in psychology, minored in philosophy, and that's actually where I first came across Peter Singer's work. One of the subjects I did was ethics and his book practical ethics was the main textbook for that course i remember parts about that but one of the subtopics within was animal rights and on the reading list was one of his seminal books animal liberation which i took upon myself to read and that profoundly changed the way i think about non-human animals in terms of what i eat and what i wear and you know i was so moved by i guess what was the animal suffering that he described uh, through a product of our food system that I became vegetarian. So that was in 1995. And so it had a big impact on my life and, uh, you know, eventually became vegan about 12 years ago as well. So uh, Peter Singer's uh, work is uh, very logical, very rational. He teaches us how to think about ethics, about how the choices that we make in life around a range of issues and you know, he, you know, provides kind of significant guidance as to how you might think about some topics and the decisions that you could or should perhaps should make. Yeah. So his work has been a huge part of my life. And then fast forward to 2011. So many, many years later, say 16 years later, I read another book that he'd written called The Life You Can Save, which had come out a couple of years earlier, but I'd kind of put off reading, even though I'd followed his work, I was very interested because I thought that I might read this book and it might make me do something, you know, it might make me, you know, change the course of my life or make a different decision, you know, in a similar way to his book, Animal Liberation had. So when I did read it in 2011, absolutely, it changed my worldview. It didn't make me want to do something. It didn't make me do something that I didn't want to do. The arguments in the book itself are so compelling that I was essentially empowered to take action to help people who I hadn't really given much thought to before, which is the world's poor, or those people who are living on less than $2 a day as defined by the World Bank, of which even today there are some 800 million 
who are living in extreme poverty. And that's after adjusting for purchasing power parity. So $2 a day is what it would buy in Australia, which is, you know, as not very much. And the book outlined, you know, very clearly what it means for people who are living in poverty, what it means to them. They might have to choose between feeding themselves or feeding their child. They can't afford to get the medical care that their children might need. There's uh, women living in poverty who are suffering from obstetric fistulas through having given birth at a very young age, uh, which is correctable through surgery, but they're ostracized from their communities because of this condition. And even today, there are some 15,000 today, like 2023, 15,000 children dying of preventable causes when it need not be the case. I mean, if we think about that number, it's just absolutely staggering. So I guess the book outlined for me a picture of what it's like to live in extreme poverty, which is very hard to contemplate when we live in such an affluent country, laid out the cases to why we have an obligation as people that live in an affluent country to help people who live in poverty, and then how we can actually do it. And the book actually does outline a number of objections people commonly have, which is, you know, don't we have problems in our own country? Shouldn't we help our family first? Don't these charities just waste the money? How do I know if it's really going to help someone? All those kinds of things and talks to how, yes, absolutely, there are ways that you can help and and you should help. So that was back in 2011. We'll come back to a bit more about the organization, the life you can save, I guess, through this discussion. But on finishing that book, I immediately pulled out the metaphorical checkbook and said, okay, how do I help? You know, I am so compelled, propelled to take action and do my part and to give my share of what is, I guess, a reasonable amount to donate to people who are living in poverty. And, uh, you know, I spoke to my husband at the time. He's like, yeah, that's fine. And, you know, we started giving, you know, not insignificant sums, you know, around somewhere between, from that point almost anywhere between 5 and 10% of what we earned as a gross amount as a household. And it changed my life. So not just because it made me do something else that I wasn't already doing, but it gave me a lot of purpose as well knowing that I could earn money, I could feel less guilty about living in a wealthy country and do something with that capital, that excess capital that I have and and make a difference in the lives of the world's poor, even though I I can't see them. I might not ever meet them, but I'm meeting, I guess, an ethical and moral obligation that I felt after reading the book. And yeah, it made me feel quite good to know that I could play a part in this enduring problem that is global poverty. That is quite exciting that the concept that you know, you don't necessarily need to see an issue firsthand, but we all have the opportunity to contribute together to creating the world that we all, I guess, want to live in and be part of. And you did sort of touch on like lead into the work that the organisation does. So obviously it's somehow around the content of the book and the ideas that Peter Singer shares there, but how do you actually kind of bring that to life within the organisation? So The Life You Can Save as an organization started back in 2015 in the United States. An American, Charlie Bressler, read the book and he was kind of a bit like me, kind of changed his worldview and he was moved to take action. And he contacted Peter Singer and said, you know what, this this is more than just a book. This should be an organization. There should be an organization that spreads the ideas of this book and I guess, shares the purpose that he also felt in his life after reading the book. Okay, I know what I need to do with my life and the skills I have, all the financial resources. And so he, so the organization convention in 2015, primarily to spread the ideas of the book and also to encourage people to take a pledge 
around, okay, I'm, I'm going to commit to giving X amount uh, from this point onwards to help people live in poverty and some of the, some of the other ideas in the book. But what, what the, the organization in the United States also did was had a list published of charities that people who had read the book would be very confident that are, are doing good and also very high impact uh, in terms of the dollar per life saved or improved was very low. So a donation would go a long way. So that list was published online and kept updated and the organisation brought in research from other really good research organisations such as GiveWell, which is one of the gold standards as to charity evaluation and a couple of others. And The Life You Can Save had a volunteer-run organisation to, I guess, assess and keep that list up to date. But move forward to 2019 in Australia. Um, It was formed as a public benevolent institution And that was really exciting because what it meant for people living in Australia and what we know as well, because Peter is probably because he's Australian, is is the book has been quite popular and impacted quite a lot lot of people's lives here, is that because The Life You Can Save is a public benevolent institution, the list of charities that we recommend and we take donations for, we can then on grant to those charities who are doing work at 100%. And the donor can get a tax deduction. So up until that point, you know, someone might go, okay, I want to give, but a lot of the charities that were recommended or considered to be the best in the world in terms of effectiveness weren't available for tax deduction. And that's something that's actually quite important to a lot of donors. But and it's interesting, even if for some people, you, you kind of go through the logic and you go, right, I know that giving to, I don't know, Helen Keller International is going to be 10 times more effective in terms of the number of lives, human lives that can be impacted in some way than another charity that I can get a tax deduction for. However, the tax deduction kind of stopped a lot of people from donating, even though they knew that it was going to kind of counteracted by the, the really high impact. So as a PBI in Australia, we have a list of about 20 uh, recommended nonprofits. And someone can look through those lists and go, okay, I accept that I should help someone in poverty. Have a look through the list, have a look at the cause areas, see the kind of work they're doing, calculate their impact. Okay, I've got $100 to give or I've got $500 to give. What will that actually do? And donate and say, okay, I want to give $1,000 to the One Acre Fund and give it to us, get the tax deduction, and we on grant it 100%. So we don't actually take a cut of that. So now the organization's formed into not just an organization that spreads the ideas, but one that facilitates when someone goes, okay, you want to take action, what do I do? It's like, well, here's how you can take action and here's some, you know, guiding principles if you want to, I guess, narrow down the types of people, the types of interventions you think uh, you want to get behind. So it might be around economic empowerment, might be around saving lives, might be around helping women and girls. We've kind of narrowed it down and curated a great list, but also other ways to guide your decision as to where your donation could go. And so what was the thinking behind putting those two things together, not just having the list anymore and and taking it to let's actually be the middle person without taking a cut? I don't know any middle people that don't take a cut, so that's really good that you guys don't do that. Uh, What was the reason for bringing those two ideas together? I guess the book is so powerful that it needed to be a vehicle for spreading the ideas. And the organisation is now global. Uh, So, you know, we've got, you know, around 10 or 15 employees around the world. And the reasoning is that if as an organisation we can facilitate why give, the spreading of the ideas, and then show people how, then that's going to have a really powerful impact and a multiplier effect 
on on the ideas of the book just kind of spreading themselves through book clubs or whatever it might be. So we have a marketing arm and their job is to spread the ideas of the book through social media, PR, other things, um, you know, asking Peter to take part in podcasts or interviews and just really amplifying the key messages in the book. And then the organisation facilitating the donations is really, it's about altruism and it's about having that vehicle for these really high impact charities who are underfunded by definition as part of our charity evaluation framework. They're underfunded, uh, they're very high impact. The intervention that they're deploying is scalable and it's about them having a platform to access high levels of donations as well. So really that middle person, the role that we're playing is not just facilitating what donors want to do, which is access these high impact charities for the tax deduction, but the platform for these charities, our charity partners, to uh, access funding through Australia and the US as well. Yeah, and I, and I think as well, just from a, a donor experience perspective, being able to go to one place to get all that information, like previously you would have probably had to go to several sources to do all of that, right? You'd probably look at some particular list or something or do a bit of your own research to understand, is this the right place where I want to put my money? And then you might have had to then go to the organization's website or something to actually then to be able to actually give the donation, whereas you're kind of bringing all those things together as well. Yeah. And the the feedback that we've had from donors is that it's so valuable for them because up until this point, they were just frozen by decision-making because the whole field of international aid and development is so complex. We've had a number of testimonials by people that say, you know, I just didn't know how to give or who to give to, so I just didn't. And by pulling all that information together in one place uh, with a you know focus on, I guess, the neediest of the needy on uh, in terms of humans on this planet, it's removing that obstacle for people giving and enabling them to not just give with confidence but to take out some of that guesswork that they would have had to do before because that research capability that we have is really valuable and really powerful and our research team do an amazing job not just of finding these charities which are really high impact but then pulling out the numbers to quantify the impact that they're having so people can go in and just plug in a number and say this is what I can do with this amount of money and that's really really powerful. Are you looking for innovative ways for your organisation to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customised report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au slash self-assessment. Yeah, I imagine for those underfunded charities that are doing work at that kind of grassroots level, they don't have the resources to then be able to understand, you know, the impact and those numbers and be able to really share that broadly. I imagine that they're kind of busy doing the work that they're doing, not necessarily doing the research and then also the marketing so that people can understand the impact that those charities are having. How do you make all of that kind of work together? I know you mentioned that you've got a good research team that find these charities, but do you have some principles that make that easier? Yeah, so we, we we have a marketing team and they will we will look for opportunities to run webinars uh, where we can talk to the charity partners directly and uh, you know have them available for people to come and join in. We yeah look for look for lots of different ways to partner with them, co-hosting different events. Um, certainly in the US, uh, 
we've managed, well, one of our charity partners there, Fred Hollows, which is really well known here in Australia, but because of the book, they've become really well known there and they've been able to raise more money for the interventions that they undertake, such as, you know, which is, you know, primarily around eye health and cataract surgery. So there's been this co-branding, which is not just good for us because we're able to shine a spotlight on their work and, you know, enable people to be altruistic and but there's a there's that impact that the charities themselves benefit from this book because when people read it, you know, Fred Hollers is mentioned in the book, the Fistula Foundation is mentioned in the book. There's a number of the charities on our list that are mentioned that people wouldn't have otherwise heard of. And certainly our charity partners have, have said to us, you know, we're so key and critical in what they do because the fundraising that they've managed to secure because of the work that we do is amplified and significantly larger than it would otherwise have been. Interestingly, we've got a couple of funds on our that we've made available. So I think three or four years ago, we launched what's called an all charities fund because even with the tools that we have on our website, enabling people to drill down by cause area or geography or whatever it might be, often donors would just still be frozen by indecision. So we said that we could just given them that option, here's the old charities fund where your donation would just be split equally among all these amazing charities and then job done. People have different motivations for giving. It might be assuaging guilt or it might be because it makes them feel good or they just feel like it's the right thing to do, so they're going to do it. So the old charities fund just turned out to be really popular and it's just kind of organically grown with you know a little bit of marketing effort, but not a lot. Because yeah, it just helped people with that decision making. It's a bit like uh, in my financial services background, you do a risk assessment with you know your clients. You'd say, okay, well, how what's your goal in terms of saving up or for retirement? What's your time frame? What's your tolerance for risk? And then you know more often than not, you might have you got any other considerations? Recommending like an index fund with a different split of asset classes, growth versus you know defensive assets was generally where you could end up and you you would get the results that you want over the long term. But it's just that aggregation of all the stocks that you don't need to get down in the weeds of, you know, okay, what, what portfolio should I construct if your goal is simply to do good? You can just donate to our old charities fund. And then, then if you go, you know what, no, I want a little bit more customization. We've now launched a Help Women and Girls Fund, a Help Save Lives Fund. There are other ways that you can kind of segment our recommended nonprofits or alternatively, and one of the services we offer through uh, myself is we can actually curate, I guess, so for foundations or high net worth donors, they might say, right, I I really want to have a curated portfolio based on my very specific goals or values. And uh, we can also do that. So we're kind of offering something for everyone, right down from the retail donor that's donating $5 a month, right up to foundations that have got, you know, more, I guess, complex needs or want to more sophisticated strategy around their giving and what they hope to achieve. I love that idea of the all charities um, fund that you've got because it just makes me think of when you go out for dinner and you go to a restaurant and everything on the menu looks good and you can't decide, so you just order the banquet. I kind of feel like (laughs) that's what that is of giving. (laughs) You just go, well, let's just do a little bit of everything. (laughs) Yeah, and even uh, donors who are with significant amounts to give go down that path as well. But for that reason, it's like, you know, give me the banquet. I like that. Or feed me. Feed me. Here you go. Here it is. <laughs> but it is hard, isn't it? Because I think when you look at something like that, all of these things seem like good things to give money to, right? Like they're all great causes. Um, it's really hard to choose. I think that's just a really cool solution that you would have just learned through the data that you're getting through the website and speaking to people, I'm sure, um, that are using it to say like, why did you get stuck? 
uh, here's a solution for to get you unstuck. I think that's just a really smart idea. Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, yeah, yeah, credit to the team that has, you know, been operating on a shoestring budget for many years and we still do in, in pulling together these ideas and making, you know, just removing all those obstacles for people giving and I guess expressing the generosity that sits within all of us anyway. So if we can remove those obstacles and help people with their altruism or their giving and ultimately help the world's poor, then we're doing a good job. So we just want to do more of that. So our goal is to, you know, reach more people with these ideas, say, hey, we've got a really good service here, which is free so that you can, if that gener- generosity is unlocked within you after reading the book or being exposed to the ideas, uh, here's a really clear path for you to express that. That's a really great way of building all of that together. I, I really like that. You, you talk a little bit more about unlocking the generosity that sits within people. I think that's a really lovely way of um, framing up what it is that you do. Is that something that you're deliberate about or is that something that, you know, is, has that just sort of evolved around how you talk about the work that you do? That's evolved, actually. It's a very recent evolution as an organisation. You know, we've, we've tried um, and we continue to try different messaging. Um, we've recently had a lot of strategy planning and really trying to delve deep what is it that we're actually doing. There's others, I guess, collaborators in this space, like there's the Effective Altruism Movement, which kind of kicked off at around the same time as when this book was first published. And a lot of those principles apply to the charities we recommend. You know, we really, uh, there is this very strong idea around the resources we have. If you're wanting to do good, deploying them using evidence, logic, and reason is is really important, you know, because we've all got scarce resources. So those ideas are, you know, permeate through our charity evaluation framework and beyond. What we're trying to do is with people and donors or people that aren't exposed to these ideas is to encourage them to think about giving and how we help others. And as a product of that, you know, I guess unlocking your generosity naturally follows. It certainly did for me. It does for lots of people, like the number of people who've read this book and just gone, okay, right, okay, I just want to shout this from the rooftops. I just think that everybody should read this because it's, you know, fulfilled some kind of purpose in their lives is extraordinary. So I really encourage anyone listening to this to, to get hold of a copy of the book at some way. There's, we'll talk about this at the end, how you do that. And see for yourself about the response that might bring about in you, whether it is unlocking generosity or something else. But yeah, that framing of that idea, I personally fundamentally believe that, you know, people are good people. Everyone wants to do good in the world. People will stop and help other people is, you know, it's what makes the world go round, you know, like we are ultimately, you know, social creatures. We'll help out our neighbor if they need help and we'll help others. But this idea that helping others who we can't see but who we are connected with through, you know, humanity, the shared human experience, who through no fault of their own are living in, you know, extremely abject or dire conditions is certainly within me. But, you know, as we've spoken about already, people get stuck. They go, okay, I accept this is a problem, but it's so big. It feels overwhelming. And the book kind of steps, steps us through, well, then what do we do? How do we overcome this? Just because the problem is big doesn't mean we couldn't do anything. It's like these are the things you can do and will still have a big impact on people. You did sort of talk a little bit about the book and that you are looking to share that book. What if somebody is listening to this and and is really motivated and wants to read the book or enjoys listening to the book? How do you actually get hold of a copy? The book is, uh, there's a couple of ways. The ebook is available to download from the Life You Can Save's website and that is free. 
So you just hop onto our website, you know, pop in your details, you you just get sent the copy. It's really easy. But one of the one of the ways that I like to access the book, you know, it's always good to reread chapters from time to time is through uh, Spotify or a podcast, uh, one of your favorite podcast app is. So the life you can save is there. And a few years ago, uh, the team uh, managed to secure a number of celebrities to read out different chapters of the book itself, which is quite a no mean feat. And this, I guess, is a testament to how people are profoundly moved by the ideas in the book. So, for example, the one of the chapters is read out by Stephen Fry, who is a UK personality slash author in, in his own right. Uh, Paul Simon, uh, who is a you know musician, as some people of a certain age might know, or, <laughs> and uh, Kristen Bell, who is one of the actors on the Mike Shaw show The Good Place, and a number of other uh, notable celebrities from around the world. And what's great is some of so we've actually got one of the program directors from one of our recommended charities, Village Enterprise. Uh, her name is. Winnie Ulmer and she reads out, so she's the program director. She actually reads out one of the chapters as well. And then there's a, an actress from India and, you know, a range of other people. So what's great about it is you can listen to it and there's, it's clearly global. It's about thinking globally and, you know, there's different accents, um, you know, different genders, people from all walks of life reading out these chapters. And it's, it's a very accessible way to listen to the ideas in the book. Peter Singer does read out a couple of the chapters as well. But we find that, that this particular format is quite good. And what we're looking to do as well in, in future, it's not available yet. So for right now, we've got the free ebook and it's on, on Spotify is, um, you know, create some shorter versions of the book or some of the ideas in the book, some short form content. So that's one of the plans that we've got for you know, the coming year. So one of the things that I've uh, heard from multiple conversations with you, Louise, is that one of the ways that your organisation manages to create such a big impact is actually through partnering with various different organisations. And you gave a great example of partnering, you know, with different people to read chapters of the book. So do you want to talk to us a little bit more about how it is that you've been able to secure some of these partnerships and, and the types of partnerships that you have? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, partnerships are key for many nonprofits, including especially ours as a global organization. There are a few different partnerships that are, you know, already valuable or, or will be valuable in the future, such as uh, at the moment, if for anyone living in Sydney or Melbourne or even Adelaide, you might see some street signs with the Life You Can Save advertised, which is a partnership with JC Deco. JC Deco. Uh, has offered us and is, you know, as a key partner with pro bono advertising space on street signs. So yeah, Sydney, Melbourne, and yeah, now Adelaide, which is something that I secured recently being my hometown. So people will walk past and there are, you know, obviously high traffic areas. People will walk past, they'll see the ad for the life you can say with a QR code to go and download the book right there. And then what's exciting about that is we like to really measure things here so we can measure you know who's um, you know access to the book that way in that method and might read it etc and the other thing we do just as an aside is we we do track when we do get donations how did you hear about the book and all those kinds of things which informs our marketing and our strategy around reaching more people so jc deco is a key partner we're also locking in a partnership at the moment with booktopia which is the largest book retailer in australia and uh, the details are still being finalised, but we're looking to, in conjunction with them, give away more copies of the books to their existing customers. So the details are still being finalised, but we're hoping that ahead of end of financial year, which is peak giving season in Australia, 
that more people will get the book in their hands and, and read it and realize that they can get an amazing return on their donor dollar as well as a tax deduction through donating to one of our recommended nonprofits. Right, great. Look, Louise, it's been really interesting hearing more about the work that you do and more about the, the work that A Life You Can Save do. And one of the things that I found most exciting was just the accessibility. I think sometimes when we think about philanthropy, we think that that's something that's for other people, predominantly really rich people. But it's really nice to know that there is a clear path forward and there's really impactful ways that everybody can participate and be involved. If we are, you know, inspired from this conversation, we, we know that we can go onto your website. We know that we can download a copy of the book to have a listen to, um, and we'll put links to the website into the show notes as well, so that people can go in there and have a look. But was there anything else that you wanted to direct people to if they are looking to learn more? Absolutely, our, our website is a treasure trove of resources and tools. But in particular, I really love the impact calculator, which I've mentioned already, but I'll mention again because I just think it's so powerful to see how and what your donation can actually do. You know, so I really encourage listeners to hop on there, look at the different charities. They've got different interventions. Measuring those is extraordinarily complicated but it can be done and so just shout out to the research team that's been you know managing that and maintaining that for for some time because donors find it really effective in I guess well not, it catalyzes what, what they want to do they go okay I can see what I can do with this amount of money and in some cases it encourages them to donate more once they see the kind of impact that they have and, you know, I highly encourage people to experience the giver's high, which, you know, comes from when you do submit a donation and, yeah, it makes you feel really good. I really like from what you've said, Louise, what I'm sort of hearing the organisations really about is that giving can be complicated. There's lots of things to consider and lots of different options out there. But if we believe that everybody truly does want to give, then what your organisation does is make that easy for people to do. And I think that's just you know, that's where the innovation is right there is that you're just, you're learning all these different things from these donors and potential donors to get all that stuff out of their way so that we can all do what we want to do and create the world we all want to live in. So I just think that's amazing and keep up the good work. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate that. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.